IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. You know, the World Economic Forum has identified emotional intelligence as one of the top 10 must-have skills. Reconnecting with our authentic emotional intelligence selves will enable us to embrace change and raise our consciousness. Kirsten, this is just the kind of angle we've been talking about. Elevating consciousness, which leads to leadership, which leads to market valuation and profits and, you know, good things for the investors. Oh, it absolutely is. And, you know, I love that we're opening our podcast with World Economic Forum, Emotional Intelligence, Higher Consciousness. Like when in history have those three terms been intertwined together as a winning combination. It's so good to see that confluence. And, you know, one of the people who helped prompt that discussion for us is our guest today, Phil Johnson. Phil, welcome to our program. Uh, Thank you. It's great to be on your show. He's the founder of a program called the Master of Business Leadership. He's been a high-tech executive. He's been an executive coach and been in the corporate world for quite some time, developing and consulting with leaders. Phil, Why is emotional intelligence, which is not a brand new term, we all know, we've heard it, but why all of a sudden is it getting new attention from a real corporate management valuation economic standpoint? Uh, Mark, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. It's because um, we're in a time of rapid and accelerating change, and we've got a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. The development of our emotional intelligence is being recognized more and more as the solution to the drama and chaos that gets generated when we leave our comfort zone. There's a part of our brain called the amygdala that for the last 500 million years have been trying to keep us safe and alive by making sure we never leave the safety of our cave or or comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And if we do, it secretes a hormone into our bloodstream called cortisol. And that causes the executives, our prefrontal cortex to shut off. And we typically go into some type of fight, flight, or freeze mode. When that happens in conflict situations, people die. When it happens in business or personal situations, relationships die, we burn trust. So as an analogy, if you think of, if you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to feel the anxiety that change and innovation creates in us and move through it towards what it is we're trying to achieve. More and more companies are hiring, promoting, and developing emotional intelligence. A good example of that would be Apple. Apple's whole hiring process is centered around the search for individuals with above average levels of emotional intelligence. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, the energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. 
Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you, how do you measure emotional intelligence? Like how, how would you interview that question? There's a bunch, there's a bunch of questions you can ask, but the, the short answer is the more emotionally intelligent you are, the more you'll be able to recognize it in others. Mm-hmm. As you become more emotionally intelligent, you become less resistive, less judgmental, less attached to outcome. And that enables you to see the individual more more readily. Mm -hmm. See, our walls blind us to reality. When we're being driven by our fear, that causes us to become more resistive, more judgmental, more attached to outcome. And that stops us from seeing who we who we really are, and it stops us for, for seeing other people for who they really are. As we develop our emotional intelligence, we become more conscious about what's going on in us and around us. I'm I not sure if that con- answers your question. No, I see the connection to consciousness now. And I, I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint, Phil, because you've watched this develop over time, but certainly, you know, Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, you know, the, the idea of corporate culture and emotional intelligence may not be new, but now all of a sudden we're connecting this to higher consciousness and market valuation, you know, <laughs> that there's a monetary return on consciousness. What have you seen in that regard? We're at the very start of the development of a multi-trillion dollar industry. Because of the tsunami of change we're facing, the development of our emotional intelligence isn't a solution to the challenges we face. It's the only solution to the challenges we face. And it represents a huge part of our development that's missing. Our educational system has failed us and our employment system has failed us in that they focused on the development, not the development, but the enhancement of our intellectual ability. And they really did very little to develop our emotional intelligence. And really our IQ and EQ are meant to work together. And whereas IQ is not everybody, is largely genetic. You can't, not everybody's born with 160 IQ, but anybody can develop their emotional intelligence. It's an experiential process. People aren't born with emotional intelligence. It's developed, and it actually acts as a huge results multiplier. An analogy I like to use is an iceberg. The one-tenth of the iceberg sticking above the water, you can think of as IQ. The nine-tenths under the water is EQ. Mm -hmm. By developing your emotional intelligence, it acts as a huge results multiplier when you've primarily been focused on IQ to generate results. And then quite specifically, Phil, you've developed this kind of five-part teaching and coaching program for executives that that begins or applies that consciousness first to the root cause analysis. It says, where are we? You know, what? why does that kind of start with authenticity and understanding and truth-telling from the executive's point of view? We're only conscious about three to 5% of the time. The rest of the time we're our results are driven by our unconscious habits uh, that create the behaviors and the results. So if we want better results than we're currently getting, we can't get that with our existing habits. In order to get better results, we need to develop better habits that will raise our level of consciousness. That's really the objective of the MBL program is to help individuals and organizations do that. That's what we've been doing for the last 
21 years. What I'm hearing is multidisciplined approach, right? Where you're really cultivating both the spirit, the emotional, and the intellectual simultaneously, and then learning how to bridge all of those to work together. What was your turning point? What brought you to this point where you said as a leader, this is what needs to happen? Three things. The first thing is that I was born with dyslexia. That caused me to have to, because my brain doesn't work the way most people's brains work, it caused me to do a lot of what I refer to now as emotional labor. Think of it as a, an analogy as of a blind person who developed great hearing. Because of my dyslexia, I had to rely more on my intuition. And that helped me to get greater insight into myself and, the, and other people that serves me well in, in what I do now. Uh, the second motivation was the death of my mother in 1967, December 1967. I had just turned 14. And in January of 1968, I decided I wanted to do this work. And that was really 54 years ago, as I just turned 68. I became this super overachiever, ended up spending 20 years in the semiconductor industry and uh, finished as an executive. And I realized that uh, there was a huge need to change our trajectory, to change the way we did things, the way we do things. That motivated me to create what I now refer to as the, as the Master of Business Leadership Program. Love that. And I guess in you know, not only your own personal journey, but in the journey of many leaders, they're moving up this consciousness pyramid, so to speak, trying to improve their listening, try to improve their authenticity. Are you seeing executives these days in general, but some of your clients specifically, really changing? I mean, we read in the journals about leadership change, and it mostly means change the leadership. It, uh, how good are we at changing the leader? We're terrible at it. We're absolutely terrible. There's only two things that will cause us to change. There's only two things that will cause us to leave our comfort zone. One is pain. The other one is passion. Um, and hardly anybody's connected to their passion. So that most of the people I start working with are motivated by pain, by an urgent desire for better results than they're currently getting. And going through this MBL process, the motivation changes from wanting to move away from something, pain, uh, to wanting to move towards something, a passionate desire for a, for a better result. I think we're quite frankly at a tipping point as a species. Um, and the accelerate, some scientists estimate in this century, we're going to experience the equivalent of 20,000 years worth of change or 200 centuries worth of change. And we have a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. We are completely, totally, absolutely unprepared for what's going to happen, for what's already happened. And the only chance we have it navigating our way through the drama, chaos, and conflict that change is going to cause in us 
is the development of our emotional intelligence. That's why more and more individuals and more and more organizations are beginning to move in this direction. And I'll tell you something else. The development of emotional intelligence is like Navy SEAL training for your emotions. Mm-hmm. It is extremely difficult. It's so um, funny though, Phil, counterintuitively, so many people have called this the soft skills. And, <laughs> and, right. yet, and yet I think the three of us, if not our, our listeners, <laughs> can agree it is Navy SEAL training. Absolutely. I, I've helped organizations generate over a billion and a half dollars in top line revenue and going through this process, as well as advancing their careers. Uh, The development of emotional intelligence generates hard results, measurable results. Here's an analogy I like to use is uh, of the journey involved, Um, is if you take a penny and you double it every day for 31 days, day one, you've got a penny, day two, you've got two pennies, Day 31, you've got $10.7 million. Day 30, 30, 32, you've got more. Um, The point is that it doesn't take any more effort to go from day 30 to day 31 than it did to go from day one to day two. But it's a process. In the beginning, it looks like you're doing a lot of work for a little, and you are, because you don't know what you don't know. Later on, it looks like you're doing a little work for a lot, but it's because of the building process. There are organizations and individuals I've been working with for over 12 years because the ROI keeps getting greater and greater and greater and greater. By the way, day 40 is over 5 billion and day 50 is over 5 trillion. So that the development of emotional intelligence, although it is extremely difficult, and there are both there are both biological and sociological resistance to, that we have to change. The ROI is remarkable for the for those individuals willing to do the emotional labor required. Are you seeing a difference in the age groups that are willing to work within the emotional intelligence, higher consciousness, business models, paradigms, if you will? Yes. I would say that it's it's almost independent of age. It's it's more to do with a level of awareness that the individual already has. They know that they need to change their trajectory, that we need to change our trajectory. And they're searching for a way, a solution that works in order to do that. So it's almost it's age independent, it's geography independent, it's industry independent. It's really based on where the individual is in their own journeys. So interesting, Phil. Yeah, to use your uh, penny a day or doubling the penny a day analogy, where could an individual start that says, I really do want to start this journey? And I can see day 31. It's a little daunting right now, the size and scale that it could be. But if I can get through the first week, (laughs) maybe we're on our way. Habits die hard. Where could we begin? You start with developing a, an emotional connection to a, to a vision of some desired result you want to achieve. So that emotional connection is really the fuel for the journey. It's really, you have to have a desire to achieve some outcome that's greater than your fear of leaving your comfort zone. And it really 
because the development of emotional intelligence is an experiential process rather than an intellectual process, you can only really connect the dots in hindsight after you've taken the leap of faith. So it always requires an initial leap of faith based on a vision of a desired result that's motivating you to take action. Right. So question to that. So oftentimes, right, those that are on this self-awareness journey, if you will, right, this uncovering of self-awareness, you take the risk, right? You jump, mm -hmm. it fails, <laughs> right? A lot of, oftentimes the jumps don't always leap to immediate success, yep. right? There's journeys within the journey. Yep. How do you speak to that? What do you suggest when you leap and you, you drop? You get up, you dust yourself off and keep going. See, failure and success are two sides of the same coin. You can't have success without failure. You can't have success without repeated failure. But when you're focused on a desired result, failures just become information. For instance, lots of Walt Disney, when he was trying to earn money to, uh, to begin construction on Disney World, got turned down by over 2,000 banks before he was actually able to find somebody, find an organization willing to fund the, fund the construction. And he actually died before uh, construction was completed. And somebody at his funeral said, you know, gee, isn't it too bad Walt never got a, got a chance to see his dream come true? And the person looked at him and said, well, really he did. He saw it before any of us. And that's what created the motivation to keep moving forward. If somebody can talk you out of doing something, you should let them because it really wasn't that important to you anyhow. I think I'm going to coin that phrase. <laughs> I like that one. Well, it's very helpful to know that failure is a big step to success because I have many steps built. Uh, you know, they, don't, they don't look at it as failure. They don't look at it, as, exactly. they don't look at it with judgment. They simply look at it as information. Right. Well, that didn't work. Well, let's, so let's, let's try this. the other thing. Yeah, I love that. I'm wondering, Phil, I mean, you've had experience uh, coaching and teaching executives really all over the world. Are there any cultural differences in this mindset or this journey? You know, would people from one continent to another have different approaches or different views of this higher consciousness? Sure. But it's still the same their view of reality is getting them their current results. It's still the same challenge wherever you are in the world. The only way to get better results is being willing to step outside of your comfort zone and move through the anxiety that creates. And as you do that, that's where the real connection occurs. See, authentic, emotionally intelligent leadership looks the same wherever you are in the world. It's, um, it's not based on culture. Uh, it's not based on geography. It's not based on income. It's based on behavior. So it's and getting back to an earlier question, it's as you become more conscious, as you become more emotionally intelligent, it becomes easy to recognize it in other people. You can, you can recognize it in people that have it, and you can recognize it in people that don't. Well, Phil, this has just been a terrific discussion. We've really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, how can people connect with you and learn more about your program? The best way to reach me is through my LinkedIn profile. 
in the profile, there's a there's a link to my calendar, and they can jump on and uh, we can have a, a Zoom call together, a Zoom meeting. I'd be happy to meet with anybody that's uh, that's interested in emotional intelligence. Wonderful. We'll put the links in the show notes. Kirsten, as we said at the outset, this idea that emotional intelligence and higher consciousness has real value, marketplace value, it really does underscore what we've been talking about, doesn't it, of IntelliKey leaders reaching full potential. Absolutely. You know, I really believe even in this conversation with Bill that we've just touched the tip of the iceberg of the true quantification of its value that we just kind of hopefully planted a seed for individuals listening, because when you really go deeper into just even the term higher consciousness or intuition, there's so much well beyond just that what we've talked to today. So again, that's tapping into that IntelliKey, that potentiality that's available. And I think that's you know, the quantum right there, the infinite available potential for everyone. Yeah. And the dual meaning of this master of business leadership, you have to have mastery of your knowledge and your skill and your profession, but also master of your emotional intelligence. Bill, you had another thought? I just wanted to jump in on Kristen's uh, comment there. And it's that's absolutely correct. One thing I didn't mention, and we're just really just scraping the the, the tip of the iceberg here. One of the central thesis of the MBL program that I've been proving over the last 21 years is that there's a, there's an underlying energy physics to all of this that makes the results as predictable and quantifiable as any physical science. So it is it is physics, it is energy vibration, and that's a much longer conversation. That's yeah, right. When we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. Our conscious mind doesn't begin until we're about a year or so old. But we immediately start wiring up our brain. We immediately start creating the neural network pathways in our brain that become our habits in order to survive, in order to fit in and get food, survive. And a lot of those habits that we create are what I call victim habits. They're habits that unconsciously cause us to give away our energy um, and we do it in a myriad of ways. E equals MC squared. Energy can't be created or destroyed. It just changes, just changes form. So when we're when we're unconsciously giving away our energy over here, it creates an energy deficit in us. Um, at the same time, we're giving away our energy over here. We have to replace that energy by trying to steal energy from other people over here. And that dynamic is going on inside of everybody, everywhere, unconsciously, all the time. So what I do in the MBL program is I show people how they're unconsciously giving away their energy and how they communicate, listen, take responsibilities, make decisions in a myriad of ways. And I give them better habits to practice to stop doing that. And when they stop giving away their energy over here, they need to steal the energy of other people over here goes away. And it's in that process, it's in that process of moving out of our comfort zone and developing these new habits and the emotional labor that requires, that's how we develop our emotional intelligence. It's how we raise our level of consciousness. That's how we become more, more inspirational leaders. And I can tell you that it's harder than hell, really. That's why hardly anybody in the world is willing to do it. It's like going to the dentist. You'd never go to the dentist 
unless you're either in pain or trying to avoid pain. But if you're not willing to change yourself, the only alternative you have is to try and change everybody else. Try and use some type of position-based power to control and manipulate others to steal their energy because you're unwilling to change, because you're feeding off of their energy like a vampire. And that's how we've been behaving for thousands or maybe millions of years. And we're at a point now where we have this old 500 million year old Neanderthal brain that doesn't like change. And we have an absolute tsunami of change coming at us. CRISPR, Cas9, genetic technology, AI, climate change, other, other pandemics. And we are completely unprepared to deal with it. There's going to be a hell of a lot more drama, chaos, and conflict. We're just getting started. The, pe the pandemic we've been going through in the last two years is a gift because it's showing us how terrible we are at change. The stuff coming down the road is going to make this look like nothing. And if we don't, it would take an incredible leap of faith to do the emotional labor we're going to have to do to survive. We're really at a tipping point as a species. Unfortunately, we're the generation that's got to make a dramatic change in our trajectory as a species quickly, quickly. So making money, career advancement, generating higher levels of engagement, that's easy. That's, but there's a whole bigger issue here that's greater than any of that that involves our survival on the planet. That's why I do what I do. And I barely made a dent. Well, I hope to continue this conversation. Phil, do stay in touch with us. And listeners, come back and continue to join our program as we have conversations like this with leaders and practitioners all over the world about how they really create this <laughs> prism, as Phil illustrates in one of his graphics, of bringing together career you know, proficiency and stakeholder valuation and trust and engagement with employees and so forth into real executive leadership change. And that's what our podcast is all about. So join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. For Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.